Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And of course, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports on all social media platforms. Now, in this week's episode, we'll have the official Just In Time Sports mock draft. First round, of course, no trades or anything like that, but the official mock draft. We will talk about the NBA playoffs, what's going down there. And we will have our best for last, which will be a discussion about my first NBA playoff game. Um, so that'll be definitely what I want you guys to hear. I'll try not to talk about it too much during the NBA segment. Um, but that is something that's definitely going to be our best for last. Um, it is going to be a spectacular best for last. Definitely stick around for that. But again, don't forget to like or subscribe to the podcast and sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. I am incredibly excited about this episode. Uh, lots of fan interest um, in this episode. I teased it a couple of weeks ago, uh, specifically April 11th, about how this was going to be the mock draft episode on April 25th. Well, guess what, people? Check your calendars. It is indeed April 25th, my official NFL mock draft will be happening in a very short amount of time of course we will talk about the nba playoffs and then of course best for last we talked about in the intro will be a, a thank you and amazement and all around talk in general about my first ever playoff game i went to the pelican suns game four in new orleans last night uh been wired ever since i get but again like i said in the intro i don't want to dive too far off the deep end because i do want to uh i do want to save some of that or most of that if not all of that for best for last but hey it's the nfl time the nfl draft starts on thursday of course with the first round then friday you've got rounds two through four then saturday you have rounds five through seven um and then of course all day saturday or right after the conclusion of the draft through sunday and monday you'll have the flurry to sign the undrafted free agents it was always very interesting to me that process of the undrafted free agents because I've I've heard the stories of agents um, sending out mass texts or calls saying you know to the four or five teams that may have reached out in the sixth round and or fifth round and say may look at you the sixth and say hey don't sign us don't draft us we prefer to go in undrafted free agency because by that point the money's wasn't what um, in terms of guarantees in terms of length of contract in terms of even opportunity a sixth round pick a seventh round pick and an undrafted for agent pretty much have the same opportunity to make the roster um and they have the same money in terms of guarantees there is they're as easily released um so uh, agents will reach out especially powerful agents will reach out and say hey don't worry about don't draft us we we prefer not to get drafted because they'd rather because they have seven or eight teams you know calling them saying hey you don't fit on our draft board but hey we'd love to bring you in because again a six seven a six round pick a seventh round pick and an undrafted free agent 
pretty much have the same opportunity in most teams eyes to make the team because there's no financial um there's no financial strain it's not like a first round pick and an undrafted free agent you know the first round pick's gonna make it the undrafted free agent's trying to battle for a spot with another guy so you know there's no financial strain there's no um name recognition pressure anything like that it's a football player you know so agents will say we'd rather go to undrafted free agency i mean there's been guys that said they had three teams want to draft them and then as soon as the draft ended eight teams called their agent to try and sign them at the free agency got into a little bit of a bidding war got up a few hundred a few a couple of tens of thousands um in terms of bidding and then ultimately they end up making a roster for a couple of years so it's 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 something where that undrafted free agent process is always very interesting to me because it never truly makes sense. If you really want a guy, just draft them. Don't take the chance. Um, but a lot of times these guys are looking for traits. They're looking for features in those sixth, seventh round picks um, as opposed to they're looking for something that, man, if you had more of the other stuff, you'd probably be a third round pick. But because uh, throw a guy out there, Cole Kelly, the quarterback Southeastern, he's got unworldly size he's 6'7 250 255 ish and he's got a cannon for an arm so you think put those two things together you're looking at third fourth round pick the issues that he did at southeastern which is an fcs school um so he gets a little knock there and he has issues with ball control um ball handling in terms of turnovers and playing better competition he seems to not play as well i mean he played really well when they played up in the FBS in the regular season, he did not perform as well in the playoffs. Um, so that is something where the undrafted free agent market may be good for him because the team that says, man, we could do something with him. We just can't use a draft pick on him. Picks him up, you know, um, looking at a situation where you could be a New York, the Giants, you know, um, or another Houston. Well, they tend to be rolling with Davis Mills, but a team that doesn't have Pittsburgh, that doesn't have the quarterback uh, solution situated, you could rise from an undrafted free agent to making the roster as the starter or more likely the back or even keeping a third quarterback around. So that is something that the undrafted free, free agent market is good for after the draft. Just not a huge fan of it um, in general. It kind of gives uh, ownership and management and um, agents a lot of, cop outs and wiggle room it's much of negotiating before it even starts um so that's always interesting but of course mock draft season you guys really only care about the first round um if you're a fan of the rams you don't care about mock drafts ever because your team never have a first round pick um the last one you picked was what jared goff in 2016 you're not gonna pick another one till 2024, 2025, and that's it. And that's as it sits right now. For all we know, Les Need is already trading the 2026 pick. He just can't officially do it yet. So, all kinds of madness is happening. Um, you guys again only care about the first round pick. So why would I waste your time by diving into the sixth round? Of course, I know at that point as little as anyone because there's so much movement and player acquisition and. All kinds of other stuff. Team decide they feel their needs, can't feel their needs, trade out, trade up. Uh, it's just too much work into the weeds really past the end of the second round. There's usually a couple of big trades between the first and the second round that really shake the order up. But this, this mock draft obviously has no trades in it. I can't predict the trade. I won't even dare try. Uh, because when you have a situation where you're diving into hypothetical trades and stuff of that nature, it throws the validity, the validity rather, to me of your mock draft away. 
um and the reason why i waited so late in terms of waiting till this show instead of going last week is that we just seen a trade amongst draft picks we just seen the eagles and the saints uh trade all draft picks in a trade um and so situations like that obviously affect the mock i mean the patriots did a, a trade with the texans uh the patriots sent like a fifth to the texans for a sixth and a seventh that ultimately doesn't matter um and it, and it won't affect the mock draft but like the patriot with the saints acquiring saints rather acquiring an additional first and the eagles losing a first that affects the mock draft because most mock drafts are one around a lot of mock some mock drafts go to two very few mock drafts go to three now if you're a team specific reporter you may do a seven round mock draft um pff style you know like put it in the pff say you're the saints all the rounds and you just pick from there um so a lot of teams a lot of people do it that they 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 they're gonna fool you or try to fool you oh we did a seven round mock draft we picked every single pick no you didn't you put it in a simulator you chose that you were the saints and you pick from there no shame in that game hey it is what it is but it is time for no further ado with no further ado rather it is time for the 2022 official justin time sports mock draft i will also post this mock draft on all socials um that will go on twitter facebook and instagram now this i'm just gonna say this out there this mock draft is not what i would do this mock draft is not what i would do for a few of these teams i do not agree with the pick um i don't i personally i do not agree with the pick i i feel like they either have bigger fish to fry or they have um they either have bigger fish to fry or they are drafting almost out of desperation to fill the position instead of doing what i think is smart for instance we're gonna jump right into this and i'm gonna and if there's a massive disagreement i'll say it um like oh i would do this but i think they're gonna do this um so we're gonna jump right into it with the first overall pick in the 2022 nfl draft the jacksonville jaguars will select aiden hutchinson edge rusher out of michigan i would not do that i'm gonna put it on front street i would not do that hutchinson is a good player he's a great player if he went number two i got no complaints it's not it's not his talent even though i didn't love his motor i mean i love his motor i didn't love his ability um and i mean hey i say what you want i just didn't love it because to me will anderson was the best defensive player in the country last year Kayvon Thibodeau until he got injured i think was second so uh, will anderson still at alabama he'll be probably a top three draft pick next year he's an edge rusher he gets to the passer really really well in the nfl that you need Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon in the same draft class is what probably was was the number one pick entering the year probably holds that if it's not for a couple of Nick injuries and then people start questioning his motor so it is what it is and I never fault the guys um I never fault players especially in college I get injured a couple times it's my draft year I'm out like Derek Stingley got questions at LSU that team was bad under Ed Ogeron I'm out. Like I'm not about to. I'm not about to punish my body for no reason. I'm out. Uh, so Kevin Thibodeau did that. At Oregon. I'm out. Now Aiden Hutchinson, number one pick in my mock draft, he was the opposite. He went to war every single down. Also, it helped that Michigan team was really, really good. That Michigan team got to the playoff with one loss. I would love to have seen him on a six and sixteen. Does he still every single down it? 
who knows? Hey, who knows? But personally, for if I'm the Jaguars, I draft Evan Neal and move on with my life. To me, he's the safest pick in the draft. He's the six, seven, eight-time Pro Bowler, barring injury. He's the you know put his number in the in the ring of honor kind of player, barring injury. But a left tackle is not sexy, right? And the edge rushers now are becoming sexy. And I think that Jacksonville is going to feed into the hype a little bit. Now, now will Doug Peterson ultimately decide, screw this. I have a quarterback and no left tackle out of Cam Robinson. But, I mean, I have no left tackle. Let's say Cam Robinson walks. Or we can move Cam Robinson to the right. Neil goes to the left, whatever. Or Neil's on the right. Robinson's on the left. Who cares? Um, I need to protect my quarterback and Trevor Lawrence. Trent Bulky, who's the GM, may override him. I think he is going to override him. I think he sees those Hutchinson jerseys flying off the rack. Uh, this would be Michigan's highest draft pick ever, obviously, being number one. I think he just sees those Hutchinson jerseys flying off the rack, and he sees uh, Hutchinson getting to the quarterback as opposed to protecting the quarterback. It's a little less sexy. But I've got Aiden Hutchinson going number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Number two, I have Ahmad Sauce Gardner uh, out of Cincinnati going to the Detroit Lions. The Lions are one of those teams, they need a football team. And I mean, perfect honesty with you, there's some needs higher than other. Uh, but they need a football team. Gardner to me is is one of the is one of the two best clear cut corners in the in the in the draft. It's him and Derek Stingley. Um Gardner's consistency and his stats are a little better than Stingley's, why I have him going here. Um never allowed a touchdown in his collegiate career. I think he's only allowed one twenty plus yard catch. I mean, just absolutely insane. What he did at the collegiate level gets a little bit of a knock for doing it at Cincinnati. Let's say he done that at LSU, did that at Alabama, did that at Oregon even. Got into a Power 5 conference and done what he did. Uh, he may go number one, but having him at number two, he's first corner off the board. I think if Derek Stingley's healthy all the last two years, Stingley's number one off the board. But Amar Sars Gardner, number two. Uh, to Detroit, great player, great pick, continuing Dan Campbell's mission of making that defense great. Number three, I have Charles Cross, uh, offensive tackle out of Mississippi State. Again, you know my you know my guy, Evan Neal. I would have Evan Neal going here. Um, you need a tackle? Draft a safe one. But uh, Charles Cross has been flying up a lot of draft boards. He's been flying up a lot of teams' intel in terms of a person they are interested in. He's got SEC pedigree, which helps. I mean, Evan Neal's got Alabama pedigree, but Charles Garst has got SEC pedigree. He was pat. He was in pass protection a lot. Uh, Mississippi State runs the air raid, one of the last traditional air raids on the Mike Leach. So he was able to practice his pass protection a lot, especially against opponents that know the pass is coming. Um, which is always very interesting to see if a, a lineman can hold up when a uh, when a defensive lineman knows that a pass rush is uh, a pass is coming. So they start putting on their pass rush moves. Charles Cross stood up in those situations, and therefore he gets the nod at number three to a Houston Texans team that, like I said about the Detroit Lions, need a football team. Number four, I have Derek Stingley, cornerback out of LSU. Um, I mean, what can't we say about Derek Stingley? Elite ball skills, elite length. Um, his speed was of upper echelon caliber. We've seen his film, especially his freshman year, when he was really healthy, um, committed to playing for that 2019 championship team. We saw his ability and what he was able to do. Um, and then, of course, you come to this year, and injuries pile up. His sophomore year, injuries racked up. 
And so in an overall toxic environment under the Ozron, and so ultimately Stingley shut it down halfway through the year, had his surgery, missed the combine, and put on a hell of a spring game, uh, spring, uh, pro day, rather. And so due to that, I have Derek Stingley coming in at number four. At number five, the New York Giants draft the best pure player in the draft, Evan Neal, off of Taka out of Alabama. Um, what can I say about Evan Neal that has already not been said? Physically, it's imposing. Mentally, it's honestly scary how a man that big can move that fast. Um, so that is something that Evan Neal is going to have to do. He's going to be the guy at number five. Rotating in at number six, another pick I do not agree with, but it's gaining a lot of momentum. Um, I don't agree with this pick at all, but it would, I have Malik Willis number six going to the Carolina Panthers. Now, why the Panthers would do it? Your quarterback, Sam Darnold. I like Sam Darnold. I've always liked Sam Darnold. My friend's laughing at me. I think I'm the last person on the Sam Darnold block besides anybody last, whose last name isn't Darnold. Um, I'm rocking on Sam Darnold's block. There was a CBS Sports thing that came out where he said that, oh, he thinks he's earned the right to be a starter in the NFL. And it literally had a whole bunch of statistics that he ranked 19th in. It was I talked about it a few weeks ago. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. He literally ranked 19th in like nine or 10 categories. It was honestly creepy. It was like completion percentage, yards per attempt, touchdowns, touchdown interception ratio, completions. Since like 2018, he was like 19th. It was insane. Well, 19 in a 32 man in a 32 team league, 19 is just below average. And depending on how you do your range of quarterbacks, he'll be in like that third tier. That's a starter. He's not lying. That's a starting quarterback. The reason I disagree with this pick is because next year's quarterback class is supposed to be really good. I mean, real. I mean, it's, it's already pegged as a great quarterback class, and usually. These quarterback gurus see these classes coming two, three years in advance, and they're already going, boom, next year's class is going to be amazing. Now, it won't have Caleb Williams, but it'll have uh, Bryce Young out of Alabama. Uh, I believe C.J. Stroud at Ohio State will be eligible for it. Of course, there's some small school quarterback that'll come out. Miles Brennan has looked really good in the spring at LSU. He'll be coming out. Um, depending on how you feel about Dorian Thompson-Robinson over at UCLA, he'll be coming out. Um, so there's a there's a few guys that'll be coming out, and I'm, not, I'm obviously not naming anybody. T.J. Finley will be eligible at Auburn. You know how you feel about him? He'll be coming out of school. Um, so I mean, again, I'm not naming everybody, but that's just a few guys off the top of my head that popped up immediately. That's already a, a paid as a good QB class. So why in a class that you think yeah might not be the greatest? You have a solid quarterback. It's not amazing. I, I can't argue great. Hell, his numbers say he's slightly below average. I can't argue great. I think he's solid. Why not either A, if someone fiends for a quarterback, let's say Seattle at number nine, or let's say Houston at 13, or Philly at 15, decide we're going to get a quarterback. We're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to go jump it. Or even Atlanta at eight, we're going to jump it because we want Willis. We pass up on, on Justin Fields, mistake. We're gonna get Willis. You know, somebody, some situation like that. Why not pick up multiple picks, slide down a few spots, and just draft a great position player? Draft Tyler Lindenbaum out of Iowa. Draft um, the big fella, Jordan Davis out of Georgia. Draft um, Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame. Draft the position player. <laughs> draft one of, draft uh, McDuffie out of Washington. Draft the position player. 
keep building the team around Sam Darnold. And guess what? If Darnold flies fat on his face again, you let him walk because you already owe him twenty million dollars a year. You let him walk into free agency, and you draft your guy next year in a class allegedly that's gonna be really good. I don't get it, but I mean, hey, I do this for accuracy. I don't do this for my own personal opinion. And so I've got Malik Willis, number six, going to the Carolina Panthers. Number seven, the Giants, in need of a football team. They've already picked up their book in left tackle. Now I think they go get their book in edge rusher. They go get Kayvon Thibodeau, the preseason number one overall pick out of Oregon. Physically, it's all there. Um, again, he was the preseason number one pick. He, he had questions of motor. He had questions of effort. And I think both of those two things came into play when... He got nicked a couple of times and Oregon fell out of the national title picture. And that is one thing that the 12 team college football playoff is trying to stop. Kenny Pickett opted out. Kenneth Walker opted out. Kayvon Thibodeau uh, basically opted out. Um, you know, and all those guys would have been on playoff teams eligible to go play for the championship. Guys are willing to basically put their body and career on the line for a championship. The Fiesta Bowl doesn't entice Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker. Both of those two opted out. I'm done. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Justin Herbert. People were shocked Justin Herbert played in the Rose Bowl when he came out. Um, and that actually, a lot of people gave him credit for playing in that game. Um, and he took a pounding in that game because he ran the ball a lot. I, to me, that didn't bother me. It just doesn't. Um, motor concerns to start the year bothered me. Motor concerns after business kicks in doesn't bother me. Jadavion Clowney bothered me when he came out. Why? He had a motor concern when he, the year started. Now, was South Carolina a great program? No. Was he the number one pick? Yes. What do you do to this kid number one pick? Don't get hurt. So from a business perspective, it makes sense. But it's it's a little different. Basically, you're shut down for the season starts. Just opt out. Even though opting out wasn't a thing really then. Um, COVID year, the opt-outs became popular. So now guys on not great teams may just decide i'm gonna opt out and pair for the draft you'll be a top seven pick anyway top eight pick Derek stingley basically did it for lsu he played two three games got a nick and was like i'm done and he ended up having shoulder surgery um jadavion Clowney, probably in his year probably would have opted out went and trained got a hired a great pass rusher signed some endorsement deals went trained went was the number one pick anyway who cares um but he shut it down for season started. Thibodeau really shuts it down midway through the year. Gets it a couple times, shuts it down. Doesn't bother me. The Giants shouldn't be bothered either. Kayvon Thibodeau at number seven. Number eight, a fast riser. Trayvon Walker out of Georgia, the edge rusher. Now, he's a freak of nature. He had an amazing combine on pro day. He's recently footage, had dunking a basketball. One of the not so bright, flashy names on that Georgia championship team. Obviously, we knew um, the running back, Cook's little, uh, Davin Cook's little brother, I can't think of his first name, uh, Stanton Bennett, call out eyes, the walk-on quarterback. Um, obviously, big Jordan Davis in the middle. But the rest of that defensive line and that defense, N'Kobe Dean, at linebacker, the rest of that defensive line and defense got a, got a lot of recognition from scouts. Trayvon Walker is one of those guys you thought would have been in the teens or the early 20s, flew up after his combine and pro day uh, and then the re social media about social media videos showing his athleticism i love this pick for atlanta um number eight atlanta drafts the local guy look college guy rather trayvon walker out of georgia 
Number nine, the Seattle Seahawks recouper trade, recouper pick they get in the Russell Wilson trade that they traded basically for Jamal Adams. They get a first round pick. They need it. They need a football team. Not name, not or play anybody. As long as they don't play receiver, they will take anybody who doesn't play receiver or safety because they get a receiver with DK and Tyler Lockett. They're great at safety. Or they're good at safety with Jamal Adams and um, I can't think of his name. He got injured towards the end of the year. Oh, I can't think of his name right now. I'm looking at him. Quandre Diggs. They're good at safety with Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. They're great at receiver with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. They need everything else. Um, they kind of burned our running backs. So not going to go there. But at number nine, I have George Karloftis. Excuse me if I mispronounced that. Edge rusher out of Purdue. So it's the third edge rusher in a row. The fifth, uh, the fourth edge rusher, rather, off the board in the top nine. In the NFL, the league has become quarterback, the person to protect the quarterback, and the person to get after the quarterback. Um, special receivers have become the exception to that rule. And then, of course, you know, if you've got great receivers, you got to have great corners. But when in doubt and you need a team, you draft one of those three things. The quarterback, something to protect him, and something to hit him. Period. Um, that is So that is something there that is going to be a great pick for Seattle. You need an edge rush. You need uh, somebody there for you. They need, like I said, they need a football team at this point. So George Karloftis, uh, excuse, uh, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing that, out of Purdue, number nine, the edge rusher. Number 10, the New York Jets with their second pick. Okay. Now the Jets are going to go the other way. Think about it. They have their quarterback. They have Zach Wilson. They have their protector. They got Mekhi Becton on one side. They've got a pretty solid offensive line in general. And they even really have a pass rush. They've got a solid pass rush with the Jets. What they don't have, the rest of it, the corner and the receiver. They landed the corner in Derrick Stingley Jr. They, they got their next Darrell Revis. And now they're going to go get their next great receiver. And that is Jamison Williams, uh, Derrick Stingley's SEC brethren. Jamison Williams out of Alabama at number 10. Look. This pick ultimately will look as great as Zach Wilson does. If Zach Wilson's a bum, this pick will look like a bum. If Zach Wilson's great, this pick will look great. Well, Jamison Williams out of Alabama goes number 10 to uh, the Jets. He should be fine recovering from his injury. He should be good to go by the time the 2022 season starts. The Washington Commanders, the first pick ever is the Commanders. Uh, they draft the a, a very non-sexy pick. Uh, Tyler Lindenbaum, uh, Linderbaum rather, uh, center out of Iowa. You got Carson Wentz. You might as well get him a new center. Uh, the Washington uh, Commanders, if I say football team, the Washington Commanders need uh, a lot of meat and potatoes. They got a lot of ancillary. They need some meat and potatoes. And so they get the best offensive line remaining on the board. They get Tyler Linderbaum, uh, center out of Iowa. Number number 12, the Minnesota Vikings select Trent McDuffie, cornerback out of Washington. Now, the top two in corners, they were separated out. Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley. I think McDuffie is the best of the rest. Um, a lot of guys, a lot of people have Minnesota pegging different corners here. I have them getting Trent McDuffie. I think he's the best of the rest. Um, this would be a great pick for them. Pat Pete doesn't have much longer left. Would be great for Pat Pete to go out mentoring the next great Vikings corner, even though Pat Pete's a longtime Cardinal, but mentoring the next great Viking corner, um, Trent McDuffie, number 12, to the Minnesota Vikings. 
Number 13, another team that needs a football team, the Houston Texans. They've got their offensive tackle and Charles Cross, their left tackle of the future. Now they're going to get their receiver to continue to help out Davis Mills, who the organization seems to like. Um, who showed flashes. Had Davis Mills some great games. He's the, he's only he's the only rookie quarterback with any games of 300 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks. He's got two yeah, two of them last year on a really bad football team. Um, and so they get him another. They get him a weapon, another weapon. He's got Brandon Cooks. They get him another weapon, Garrett Wilson, wide receiver out of Ohio State, uh, goes to number 13 to the um, Houston Texans. At 14, Jordan Davis, defensive lineman out of Georgia. Now, Jordan Davis could very easily go number 13. And I, and I debated putting him there. I just figured in an offensive league, you got Lovey Smith on defense. He's going to want to help his OC out as much as possible. So you're going to get to Garrett Wilson. Uh, but Jordan Davis would fit perfectly. I mean, we're looking at the next great Ravens defensive player in this situation. I mean, we're, we're are we talking Ed Reed? Are we talking Ray Lewis? Are we talking Terrell Suggs? Maybe not. But remember, uh, eight, nine years ago, I think it was, they drafted Mount Cody out of Alabama. The the giant, like six foot seven, 350 pound nose tackle that was, they called him Mount Cody. He used to block all the extra points and stuff for Bama. They drafted him. Jordan Davis is a moving mountain. Uh, shout out Usher. Of four six speed at 330 pounds, massive size, SEC pedigree. Uh, Jordan Davis goes to the Baltimore Ravens. And number 15, another Georgia player off the board. That would be what number three so far. Another Georgia player off the board, Nakobe Dean, linebacker out of Georgia. Phil- I, I, I talked to a lot of Philadelphia Eagles fans. I look at a lot of their draft boards, and I'm seeing a lot of, my God, Howie Roseman get us a linebacker. Well, here's your linebacker, Nakobe Dean, who had more name recognition than a guy like Trayvon Walker for most of the season. He goes number 15 to the Philadelphia Eagles and satisfies a lot of the wants of the Eagles fan base by wanting a linebacker. And number 16, I have the New Orleans Saints getting uh, drafting Ikim Okonwu, Ikwunu, Akim Ikwunu. Again, I probably butchered that. My sincerest apologies to him. Um, offensive tackle out of North Carolina State. You lost Teron Armstead. Not necessarily mad about that. If you're the Saints, he cost the Dolphins uh, three pretty three pretty pennies in order to secure his services. Um, and so you're going to have to need to replace your offensive tackle. Well, who's better to do that uh, than Ekeem? Um, very good player. He's a third-ranked tackle on a lot of boards, considering Charles Cross and Evan Neal go early. Um, draft Being able to sit there and get Ekeem where they got him is a huge steal for the New Orleans Saints. Number 17, I have the Los Angeles Chargers drafting Drake London, wide receiver out of USC. Don't love this pick. Admittedly, I don't. But the Chargers seem hell-bent on getting another receiver. And I truly believe that's because Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are both either approaching or on the wrong side of 30. And so they're going to get another receiver. Drake London's right in their backyard. If they're going to know anything about anybody, they're going to know about the guy who played 15 miles away um, from SoFi Stadium. SoFi Stadium, you know what I'm saying? And then downtown LA is where USC has played. Uh, Drake London stays in LA. What a life for him. Stays in LA and uh, gets selected by the Los Angeles Chargers to catch passes from Justin Herbert and presumably 
is the outside guy opposite Keenan Allen and or Mike Williams and always gets singled. What a life for him. The Philadelphia Eagles are back on the clock at number 18 with their second selection of the first round, and they pick Andrew Booth, cornerback out of Clemson. They continue to build their defense. Their offense is their offense, admittedly. I mean, their offense, you draft Devontae Smith last year, you believe in Jalen Hurts, you love to run the ball, um, you bring back Dallas Goddard, so you continue to go on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you get N'Kobe Dean at 15, you get Andrew Booth, a pretty solid corner uh, at 18 out of Clemson. Number 19, the New Orleans Saints select Chris Olave, wide receiver out of Ohio State. So this is a need that a lot of the Saints fans will probably want to address at 16. Don't risk it at 18 or 19. If Olave's sitting there at 16, a lot of Saints fans, I know a lot of Saints, uh, Saints fans, a lot of Saints experts are going to want them to address or to draft rather uh chris alave at 16 don't risk um 17 uh drafting like for instance the Chargers going out and get alave you know because they do draft drake london but in my mock draft but i'm saying what they go get alave now that throws you into a monkey range because drake london is basically michael thomas so you don't want two of the same receiver uh through same kind of receiver in that situation but in this and in my mock draft and what I've been reading from the tea leaf, they sit there and they were able to get Chris Alave wide receiver out of Ohio State at number 19. At number 20, I have the Pittsburgh Steelers getting their next QB of the future. I have them drafting Kenny Pickett, quarterback out of well, Pittsburgh. Um, and this was a pick, this is a mixed pick for me. And when I say mixed pick, it's a mixed pick. When I say the phrase mixed pick, I say a phrase, I say that in the sense of this pick was a mix of I think what I think I know what's gonna happen. I think I know what they need, and I kind of want it to happen. Um, and this would be Kenny Pickett. Like same similar situation when I spoke about Drake London. If anybody's gonna know anything about anyone, it's gonna be the team that literally shares the facilities with the team. Now Drake London is in the same city as the Chargers. I'm sure they talked to him many times, talked to his coaches, uh, the last staff, talked to administrative teachers, whoever they, because they're right there. Kenny Pickett played college football in Heinz Field. Kenny Pickett used the Pittsburgh Steelers like they used the Pittsburgh Steelers facilities. When <laughs> Saturday night, when the, when the coaches game planning last minute, they have to do it over the roar of the crowd at the Pittsburgh uh, at the Pittsburgh game, University of Pittsburgh game. Like, if anybody, you're going to know anything about any of the quarterbacks, you're going to go with Kenny Pickett. He has small hands. That's great. He's been literally playing in Pittsburgh the past four years. Like, if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, I draft Kenny Pickett. Um, unfortunately, tragically, Dwayne Hassan is no longer in the competition. Um, God, that's so unfortunate. It makes me sad every time. So the only real active quarter, the only quarterbacks you have on the roster at the moment, you have um, Mason Rudolph. I, I'm going brain dead. I have to mention Dwayne Haskins, admittedly. Um, you have Mason Rudolph and you have Mitch Trubisky. I don't see either one of those long-term solutions. You draft Kenny Pickett, um, the guy from Pittsburgh. You keep him in Pittsburgh and you draft Kenny Pickett. Number 21. A guy who at one moment was predicted to go as high as four or five in a lot of mock drafts, Kyle Hamilton goes 21 to the New England Patriots. And I think this came down to not his talent, 
but need. And if you look at it, he's the first safety. And spoiler alert, he's the only safety in my first round mock draft. Because a lot of those teams have more pressing needs. And I think the Jamal Adams situation scarred a lot of teams. Ty Matthew is still an NFL free agent. Ty Matthew's a really good safety. He's still a free agent. Jamal Adams, people laughed at that deal. Like, I think the safety and the running back are becoming the two positions people are saying, we can get it later. It's not the most quintessential thing, especially with the amount of man cuts people run. It ain't the most dire thing ever. So they're going to get it later. Bill Belichick gets a Swiss Army knife at defense that can play corner, safety, drop down to a light box linebacker, or drop down to a slot corner, nickel corner. That's the ultimate chess piece for Bill Belichick. He gets that in Kyle Hamilton at number 21 out of Notre Dame. Number 22 um, is the Green Bay Packers. They draft George Pickens, wide receiver out of Georgia. Real solid body, physical receiver, can run. Um, and a team needing wide receivers that is desperate for wide receivers. They pick up George Pickens out of Georgia. Um, SEC pedigree. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers will love throwing him in the ball. I know he takes a minute to build rapport, but I'm sure it won't take long at all with George Pickens. Number 23, the Arizona Cardinals select Kair Elam, a cornerback out of Florida. Um, they need secondary help. They're trying to figure out a way to make Isaiah Simmons back there. They, they I mean, Buda Baker. They got safeties. They got linebackers. They got defensive linemen. Name me a corner on the roster. Don't worry. I'll wait. And I think, I think one is Robert Alford. And the only reason I know he's there, if he truly is there, is because me and him went to the same college and I tend to keep up with Southeastern players. That's pretty much it. That's the only way. That's the only reason I know he's on the right. Like, they have no cornerbacks of notes. They just don't. And so Kair Elam will fill a need there. There's not a lot of needs on this Arizona Cardinals team, admittedly. There's not a ton. Receiver, you're good. You lost Christian Kirk, but you had others. Andy Isabella, you got DeAndre Hopkins, obviously. You were good there. Running back, you're fine. You've got James Conner. Um, you got Kenyon Drake. Quarterback, obviously, you got Kyler Murray. Defensive line, you lost Chandler Jones, but you still got J.J. Watt. Not Chandler Jones. You never had Chandler Jones. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, Chandler, you, you lost Chandler Jones, but you still got J.J. Watt. You still got a couple of good defensive tackles. Linebacker, Isaiah Simmons, um, the rest of that crew. Safety, you got Buda Baker. So you need a corner. And you go Kair Elam, cornerback out of Florida. Number 24, the Dallas Cowboys are on the clock, and they select Devontae Wyatt, defensive lineman out of Georgia, uh, the fourth Bulldog off the board. Um, playing in some place, they need to get better pass rush. They need to get better at stopping the run. Yeah, you got D-Law, but I can't think of another defensive lineman on the roster, uh, especially on the interior. And so they go with Devontae Wyatt, defensive lineman out of Georgia. Number 25, a pick that almost seems like a match made in heaven. Um, Sky Moore, wide receiver out of Western Michigan, goes to Buffalo. A smaller wide receiver, a lot of speed, though. And so in a situation where he's used to playing in poor weather in Western Michigan, he goes to Buffalo, New York, gets the best quarterback he'll ever play with. He's like a super speedy Cole Beasley. It feels like a match made in heaven. Like somebody in the football heavens just said, let there be this pick. Um, and so that is my selection. Sky Moore out of Western Michigan uh, goes to the Buffalo Bills. Number 26, the Tennessee Titans select Zion Johnson, guard out of Boston College. Um, great pick, 
to me by them. Because when you have a situation where your offense is built on protecting the quarterback and Brian Tannehill and clearing holes for Derrick Henry. You need a guard, you draft the best guard on the board, and that is Zion Johnson, uh, guard out of Boston College. Number 27, Travis Penning uh, of Northern Iowa goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's an offensive tackle. Now you're thinking, offensive tackle? Don't they have Tristan Worse? Yes, they do have Tristan Worse. But they're losing some offensive linemen. And, I and you know, they got Jensen back, but they lost Ali Marpet. And I believe that they dropped another offensive lineman here in order to help solidify the line around Tom Brady. You nailed, you nailed it on the head when you got Tristan Wirfs. Great tackle. Going to be there for a decade, decade and a half. Great tackle. Um, so you go and you double up. You get Trevor Penning, who could be as high as 16 on some teams. Boy, I've seen him as high as 11. On, uh, on boards before. So Travis Penning is a great player. He falls all the way to 27 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The rich get richer. Again, not a sexy pick, but a necessary pick. At 28, the Green Bay Packers back on the clock. Select Bernard Rainman, offensive tackle out of Central Michigan. Three linemen in a row. Uh, the third offensive lineman in a row, rather. And so they, you know, you got receiver. You go, you get somebody to help protect Aaron Rodgers. He's a pretty good, he's a very good pass blocker. Needs a little work on the run. Um, but Bernard Raymond, um, offensive tackle, goes to the Green Bay Packers. Number 29, the first of back-to-back -back Kansas City Chiefs picks. They select Traylon Burks, wide receiver out of Arkansas. Big-bodied receiver, uh, kind of fits that Josh Gordon mold. And if you look... They've kind of been trying to fill that role, that possession receiver with a little speed, but a big body, strong hands, very good at contested catch kind of receiver. Because when they had Tyree Hill, who they kept trying to go with? Josh Gordon, <laughs> uh, Sammy Watkins, a bigger receiver with a little more size that makes contested catches. Well, now that Miko Hardman is going to, in theory, take the Tyree Hill spot, you still don't have the big body, strong receiver. That falls Mr. Traylon Burks, uh, Arkansas wide receiver at 29. And at 30, um, the Kansas City Chiefs back on the clock, select Baylor corner Jalen Petrie, uh, or Peter, uh, Peter Petrie. Uh, my apologies for his last name as well. Um, but they are number 30, and then he goes, uh, he's number 30, rather. He goes to the Kansas City Chiefs to help try to solidify that secondary. Um, because the, yeah, despite Patrick Mahomes' heroics on 13 seconds to get him down the field to keep the field goal to go to the Super Bowl, um, or to go to the AFC Championship game and ultimately lose Joe Burrow, we don't forget that uh, the Bills, Gabriel Davis, had four touchdown catches. Uh, the Bills were, there's a reason Pat Mahomes needed that heroics, was because the Bills had just as much ease getting up and down the field as well on them. Jamar Chase went off on them. They need corner help, so they drive Jalen Peter um, out of Baylor, the cornerback. Speaking of those Cincinnati Bengals, uh, they're on the clock. Their number one task still remains protecting Joe Burrow, so they draft Texas A&M guard Kenyon Green. Um, he is a pretty, pretty good offensive lineman. He's pretty good interior offensive lineman. Kind of a mauler. Um, so kind of good for that Cincinnati style, especially with Joe Mixon, kind of a mauler. Um, and so that would definitely help out Joe Burrow. 
Um, Joe Burrow has a Super Bowl ring on his finger if it's not for the offensive guard getting absolutely housed. Uh, the guard in the center getting absolutely housed on the last play, effectively last play of the Super Bowl by Aaron Donald because Jamar Chase had did a move on Jalen Ramsey and Jalen Ramsey's on the ground. So if Joe Burrow has another beat, maybe two beats, he flows it up to Jamar Chase. Chase catches it, runs in the end zone, and we could be having an entirely, we could be saying the defending champion Cincinnati Bengals instead of the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. And for the last pick in the first round, we have our third quarterback off the board, Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati goes to the Detroit Lions. Um, and the reason, and Desmond Ritter could be a controversial pick here. I'm just feeling a lot of Desmond Ritter momentum. Um, Mike Denbrock, who was his offense coordinator there, is not the OC at LSU, speaks very highly of him. Um, you, you get a guy in Desmond, in Desmond Ritter that knows how to play. He has been in a lot of systems, utilized the tight end, kind of play in that system of we kind of lean to the quarterback, dual threat. Actually reminds me a lot of Jared Goff. Him and Matt Corral remind me a lot of Jared Goff. Um, I consider going Sam Howell here. Sam Howell, to me, from Detroit, scares me. Because if you're going to draft the quarterback into the first round, you're in theory saying he's going to take over. Sam Howell's junior year without his weapons and sophomore year with his weapons look like two totally different quarterbacks. And so if I'm Detroit, that scares me because I'm Detroit. I don't notoriously have the greatest weapons. So I'm not going to get a very strongly weapon-dependent quarterback to at, at number 32. I'm just not. I'm just not going to do it. So uh, I have Desmond Ritter um, going number 32 uh, rounding out my mock draft uh, and going number 32 to the Detroit Lions. Uh, please, guys, share your opinions. Again, I will be putting this image on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at JTime Sports or Justin Time Sports. You want to look it up that way. Share your thoughts, share your opinions. If you think I'm a complete and total idiot with your team, blast me for it. Um, keep me, uh, keep me accountable for what it is. I'm definitely going to keep my eye on this. Like I said, I will be watching very thoroughly, um, while this is happening, while the NFL draft is happening. Um, first year we did this first year of the pod, I was 25 or 22, 25 or 32 as far as position. And I was like 18 or 32 as far as the exact pick. I uh, don't remember what I was last year. Uh, but this year I'm going to try and go for a higher number than what I was my first year. Um, so we are definitely going to keep our eye on that, but stick around. We're going to talk about the NBA playoffs and what is going down there. I love that new music. Uh, share your opinions with it with me, guys. I love that new music. Uh, if you need any music needs, shout out Gabe Johnson. He works out of Houston. Cousin of mine, actually. Um, if you guys need his contact info for any music needs, I will definitely um, hit, pass on his information, pass on his profile, etc. But Gabe Johnson out of Houston, uh, he does. He did the first intro music. He's done this intro music. That's my guy. Uh, shout out Gabe. Love that new music. Um, but we're going to jump into the NBA playoffs again. My best for last is my discussion or my analysis, breakdown, feeling, thoughts, hypeness about the my first ever playoff game 
last night. Uh, shout out my amazing wife for getting the playoff tickets. Um, but that is going to happen in best for last. So I almost don't even want to talk about the Suns Pelicans game because I feel like that's going to be a lot of what the best for last is. But I'm going to just break it down uh, as simply as I can. So if it's really short, it's because I'm going to go on a tangent. And I don't want to go on a tangent because pretty much best for last is the tangent. So stick around for that. Um, but Suns Pelicans, we're going to start off in the West. We're going to jump to the East. So Suns Pelicans is currently tied at 2-2 heading back to Phoenix. Since we last talked, uh, Devin Booker has suffered an injury. I believe I predicted Suns in five. Um, and that's just because I figured we, I figured the Pelicans, I say we, I figured the Pelicans would split one of the games, split the New Orleans games, and then Phoenix to close out at home. And that's just, I mean, that's pretty much how I, I never really predict sweeps. I don't like predicting a sweep because it's really easy to F up a sweep. Um, C, Golden State, <laughs> Denver, C, Philadelphia, Toronto. Um, it's really hard. Miami, Atlanta. Uh, it's really hard to, it's really easy to F up a sweep. Now, Boston may get Brooklyn, but it's, it's really hard to F up. It was really hard. It's really easy to F up a sweep because if you're in the playoffs, this is one of the best eight teams in your conference. A lot of, I mean, even if it's one to eight, or truly in the sense of Atlanta, Miami is one to ten. That's still one of the better teams. Like it's hard to beat somebody four times in a row, especially because by the third time, all the pressure. I mean, you you you're gonna win. Three uh, teams up three zero are like one forty five and zero all the time. You're gonna win. So you've lost the urgency, for lack of a better term, of. Oh my gosh, the playoffs. It's like we have to win one of the next four. <laughs> they have to win all four of the next four. So a lot of times that team comes out really crazy, especially at home. You don't want to get swept on your home floor. So they fight like hell. Um, which is why I think they're probably easy better than I is Brooklyn wins tonight. Because you don't want to get swept on your home floor. They fight like hell to not get swept. Life. Um, and so um, I predicted Suns in five. But Devin Book got injured. And so my prediction then flipped to Pels in six. Because again, I'm saying the Suns are a good team even without D Book. They were five and two without him in the regular season. Not a large sample size. It's not John Morant uh, with the Grizzlies. He missed like 23 games and the Grizzlies won like 21. Um, you know, so it was situations they were five and two, but they've had experience with Devin Booker and Hamstrings before. D Book pulled the hammy, strained the hammy, whatever, in the finals last year. They were up 2 0 in the Bucks. D-Book has the hammy, not the same order the season. Bucks rattle off four straight. Now, will the Bucks rattle off four straight anyway? Possibly. But they but they definitely rattle off four straight um, after D-Book hurts the hammy last year. He hurts the hammy early this year. Now, this year, now uh, during, the, during this playoff run, it's the other hammy when he previously hurt this year. So, I don't know what's catching in there. It's like Anthony Edwards' knee. I don't know what's catching in there that's causing it to frazzle or fray whatever's going on with his knee or his hamstring rather but it happened again and so they put a lot of pressure on chris paul put a lot of pressure on DeAndre aiden who stepped up and answered the call chris paul had a poor game two finals or game two fourth quarter had an amazing game three fourth quarter and it had a piss poor uh last 40 minutes of game four um it scores four points in the first six minutes Kind of controlling the show, knocked down a couple shots. I'm thinking, oh, hell, he carries no momentum. This is his building. Um, you know, he's carrying the momentum. Here we go. 
He's, I mean, as I told people, Chris Paul is the reason basketball is still in New Orleans. If the if the Hornets aren't good, I mean, like really good. I mean, they were Western Conference Final contenders when Katrina hit. If they aren't that good, Tom Bent, the New Orleans Pelicans, or Seattle. I mean, like or Austin. You know, like they were they were gone out of New Orleans, and then the Saints are probably in San Antonio. Chris Paul potentially saved professional sports in New Orleans. Um, for being that good, you couldn't move the Hornets and therefore pretty much couldn't move the Saints. Um, because the Hornets left, the Saints are probably gone too. Professional sports are dead in New Orleans. Instead, they stay and, you know, we have the sports franchise we have now. But, so Chris Paul, in his he says all the time, I built this. This is my house. Like, this, I'm, not, I'm the reason this team's still here. And so he comes out hot. I'm thinking, oh, hell, here we go. And then it's like a light bulb goes off. It's like Willie Green, the next great young coach in the NBA, rather, decides we're going to pick him up 94 feet with whoever. CJ McCullum, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, who should be first team all defense, Jose Alvarado, who's first team all pest. Um, I think Shannon Shop called him today, light skinned Patrick Beverly. Like, um, it's just constantly, we're going to pick him up 94 feet, we're going to make him work. Now, this is not a new strategy. It is no ill on Chris Paul, but it's no more daring than what the Bulls did to Magic Johnson in the 1991 finals. Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan started off Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson gave Michael Jordan a 30-point triple-double. Lakers win game one. Phil Jackson says, okay, screw this. We're going to put Scotty on him. Scotty going to go in number one. So take away that 6'6 body, put the 6'8 body on him, a little stronger, and we're going to pick him 94 feet. Magic Johnson has never been picked up 94 feet in his life. Scotty picked him 94 feet. What doing that does, it takes away the fast break. Takes away the semi-break buckets. Because now instead of Magic jogging down the court, I can see the whole floor. I can see what you set up in. Oh, backdoor cut, fume, pass, dunk. Guess what? That no longer that fume pass dunk in there anymore because you're backing now protecting the ball. And that's pretty much what Chris happened to Chris Paul. He's so concerned with not losing the ball to a Herb Jones, to a Jose Alvarado, to a Brandon Ingram, Najee Marshall, whoever's picking him up 94 feet, that it's taken away from the offense. So now by the time you're really getting in the offense, it's 13 seconds on the shot clock. Um so great shades about Willie Green. Um and for the Pelicans. Welcome to the prime time. Welcome to the big time. Welcome to the stardom that us Pelican fans have been screaming from the mountaintop. Hello, Brandon Ingram. Three straight 30-point games in the playoffs. And I think the game won, he had like 27. Um, three straight 30-point 30 game, 30 games in the playoffs. People are realizing if he rises up in a, in a fadeaway, it's a bucket. If he gets baseline and fades, it's a bucket. Just count it up. Go up and down the court. It's, it's it's going in. That mid-range fade is an absolute bucket. It's his shot. He loves it. He practices it in warm-ups. I seen that last night. Trying not to go on a tangent. But he practices it in warm-ups. Like, that's his shot. That's, that's his, his shot. CJ McCollum has not played great this entire playoffs. We all know from those Portland days, and I keep telling my Pelicans fans, friends, my fellow Pelicans fans, CJ has to act like Damon on the court no more. I mean, there was games where Damon would get hurt and CJ would go for like 40. He needs to act like Damon on the court. 
but he kind of has a dame. It's Brandon Ingram, <laughs> you know? So I don't know if his Robin kind of kicks in and kind of messes with him a little bit, but he needs to act like he's Batman. That's Brent, you, that, the pretend dame not there. Okay, he's not there. And just go off. Jonas Valanciunas is playing a hell of a series, but so is DeAndre Ayton. But they're doing it in different ways. Jonas Valanciunas, they call plays for him occasionally. It's usually low block stuff for that little swing running hook or a spin move, but he gets occasional low post up. But a lot of times he's getting his off the glass. He's killing them on the glass. And if you look at DeAndre Ayton, he's getting plays called pick and roll dunk, pick and roll little fader, uh, box, uh, bump the defender off, drop a little fader. So very good series, two good coaches, two great coaches, two guys with a lot of respect for each other. Willie Green worked on the Monty Williams for several years. Um, the guys a lot of respect for each other. It's going to be a great series. It's 2-2 heading back to Phoenix. I have I have Pelicans in six uh, right now. Grizzlies, Timberwolves. Um, I don't even I don't even know. <laughs> I, I it's this game this series is so wild. Um, it's so wild and it swings back and forth. Um, game one, the um, game one, you get an absolutely spectacular performance. Um, Oh, no, I just had a brain cramp. My apologies. You get a spectacular performance by the Timberwolves. They come out, punch the Grizz in the mouth. Okay. And then the Grizzlies come back, 1-1, and, and they get it back to, they get it to Minnesota, um, tie 1-1. And then the Grizz, then the Timberwolves, they're going to blow the Grizzlies out multiple times. They have two 20-point leads in that game, lose them both. Um, Grizz ultimately go in the game on a 50 to 16 run. Ja does a little trolling and crying Anthony Towns. Cat has eight points, and then they come out game four. Cat has 30 points, 13 rebounds, 31 points, 13 rebounds, something like that. Ja has 11, and it's 2 2 heading back to Memphis. And it's just a swing back and forth. You've got the dads, Carl Anthony Towns' dad, and Ja Morant's dad talking back and forth, sitting beside each other. They're sitting next to each other now. You know, banter, and it's just, it's great to see. Uh, it's pretty amazing to see. You've got two cultures built on grit, grind, and determination, battling it out. Um, and so the winner of that series would play the winner. Um, okay, well, they're going to play the Warriors because the Golden State Warriors have taken a 3-1 lead on the Denver Nuggets. It was 3-0. Denver wins to stay off elimination another day making it 3-1. Uh, so Jokic avoids the dubious honor of being a swept MVP. Um, he avoids that scenario. Not a lot to say here. It took a it took a very Jokic-esque fourth quarter to win the game. But to even be in these games, Jokic had to play absolutely amazing. Um, and the Warriors had to shoot a couple of bad shots in order for the Denver Nuggets to even be in this contest and to be, well, in this series. Um, Golden State should have ended in five in um, San Francisco. And then Utah, Dallas, another one of those interesting series. A series that admittedly kind of makes no sense. Um, and what do you mean by that? It makes no sense because in theory, it should be 3-1 Dallas. In theory, it should be 3-1 Dallas. Why do I say this? Because it was 2-1 Dallas with no Luka Doncic. And I, and I always said, I'm like, if they're beating 
Utah without Luka, there's effectively no chance that when Luka comes back, the Utah Jazz won a game. So when Luka came back before game four, I'm thinking that was about to be 4-1 Dallas. Get Utah up out of here. Only for Donovan Mitchell to throw a lob to Rudy Gobert to end the game, basically. Um, and ruin my bet. Shout out Donovan Mitchell. Um, and ruin my bet after Luka takes a four-point lead with like 47 seconds left. Nick Wright's on Twitter talking noise. I'm happy. I think I hit my bet. And then uh, Dwight Powell missed two free throws, up one, which would have completely negated this lob I, uh, the lob I was referring to. I'm sure you've seen now. Absolutely broke my heart in Utah. But now it goes back to Dallas, uh, tied 2-2. I still am going to sit on my prediction that it's Dallas in six. Um, you know, it's tied 2-2. Luka, that was his first game back after a couple weeks, shake some rust off. Courtney Jason Kitty came out unscathed. Um, came out clean, rather, was the phrasing. And so I've got Dallas in six. They right some wrongs from game four. Uh, Dallas in six. Out east, we have the Atlanta Hawks versus the Miami Heat. The Heat have a 3-1 lead there, and I believe they shut it down in five um, in Miami. They are absolutely causing havoc in Trey Young's life. Uh, there's a possession where he had P.J. Tucker, who gets switched off into Bam Metabio, who gets switched off into Jimmy Butler. And that is a fate I wish on no one, but it is currently happening to Trey Young. And so he is dealing with a whole hell of a lot of size, length, tenacity, and physicality in the Miami Heat. It's bothering him, as I mean, understandably so. When you're reading your team's only real ball handler, that sort of stuff will bother you. And so, um, uh, that is the series pretty much outlook. I mean, Miami's making shots. Not a ton of shots, but they're making shots. Atlanta is not because they're dealing with the size, length, and physicality of the Miami Heat. And that is pretty much the series right now. I think it ends in five in Miami. The most shocking series, at least to most fans, is the Boston Celtics being 48 minutes away from sweeping the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the Celtics lead the series 3-0. Uh, they play tonight. Uh, in the Barclays, it was supposed to be the debut of Ben Simmons. But then after a simulated practice, uh, I heard someone today was 4v4, kind of half speed. He woke up with back soreness. So if that is the case, that is truly the case. Sucks for Ben Simmons, sucks for the Nets, because you really want to see him on the floor. Even if it's for 15 minutes, you just want to see him get a little acclimated with the basketball court again. However, if it is not true, if he's not dealing with a sort of injury, if he's not um, waking up a back soreness, etc., then Ben Simmons is one of the softest, if not the softest star ever. Um, there would be a lot of wasted talent because if his mental ability will restrain his physical ability, then that is something that the Brooklyn Nets are going to have to take a look at because you can't have a guy you trade for James Harden not. Just don't not play him because you don't want to or because he mentally can't. He's got to get on the floor. He's got to figure something out. But I was really looking forward to seeing Ben Simmons. Unfortunately, he will not be there. I mean, I was also looking forward to seeing Kevin Durant, but I haven't seen him much this series either. There's some guy wearing number seven jersey. Uh, yeah. I don't know who that guy is, but the real Kevin Durant needs to show up because his team is in dire straits. Uh, Kyra Irving is dealing with the lack of the ability to eat and or drink while the sun is up. Um, K 
Kevin Durant's been hounded this series by Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. They are hounding him into making mistakes. They are hounding him into not wanting to shoot shots. Now he's referring to becoming a playmaker. Update, that's exactly what the Boston Celtics want you to do. Bruce Brown wants to go get 35. Let him go try to get 35. Let him do whatever his heart's content because it's not number seven. Kyrie Irving is dealing with his shooting woes, and Kevin Durant is dealing with his aggressiveness woes, and the Brooklyn Nets are 48 minutes away from joining the Los Angeles Lakers in 1-2-3 Cancun. The Philadelphia 76ers almost sent the Raptors to Cancun. However, they were unable to complete the four-game sweep as Joel Embiid is dealing with a torn ligament in his right thumb. Now as Joel Embiid, we shouldn't be shocked he's injured. It's sort of his thing. But he is dealing with a torn ligament in his right thumb that will not worsen from playing on it. And so they have advised him, or he's going rather, to continue to play on his right thumb and will address it with surgery following the offseason. The Toronto Raptors got a lot of contributions from a lot of people. Pascal Siakam, Rookie of the Year, Scotty Barnes. Um, several other players were key contributors to the Toronto Raptors effort. Uh, those who jumped out to me immediately, but they were definitely uh, significant contributors to the effort. Um, somebody has to figure out what to do with James Harden. Um, he's just not producing the way that I think he should be producing. So you got to figure out what to do with that. See if you can call Ben's people and see if they want to undo the trade. Um, but they're going to have to figure out their uh, roles, responsibilities. Now that you're with the James Harden S offense, because a lot of the offense, if not all the offense, needs to revolve around James Harden in order for it to be successful. And right now, the Philadelphia 76ers are not going to commit to that because they have Joel Embiid. And the final series, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Bulls. Now, this series had some entry. This series started off one of the Milwaukee, but it was rather close. And then Chicago Bulls beat the Milwaukee uh, Bucks flat out. Uh, which garnered a lot of attention, a lot of effort, a lot of fan banter that the Bulls were able to tie the series up uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks, get it back to Chicago, tied 1-1, only for um, the Milwaukee Bucks to absolutely annihilate the Chicago Bulls in games three and game four as they physically overpowered uh the Bulls and their in their team. It was just a tour de force from Brooke Lopez and Bobby Porters and Giannis Antetokounmpo. It was a situation where they are going to play really, really well uh, as long as the opposing team, like the Chicago Bulls, continue to not have any sort of rim protection. And so Giannis is having his way at will. Um, the amount of talent that needs to be on one team to beat the Milwaukee team is actually insane. They don't even have Chris Middleton, and that team went off pretty much without a hitch. Um, so that is something to keep our eye on there. That's the 3-1 series. I believe it ends once it arrives in Milwaukee. But up next, uh, I am going to have Best for Last, which is going to be a talk about my first ever playoff game. Uh, thanks to my amazing wife.
Alrighty then, welcome back into the show. Um, now we're gonna talk about what I've been kind of want to talk about all episode. My first ever NBA playoff game. Um, I went to Game Four last night. I live in Baton Rouge. As I've told you guys before, I live in Baton Rouge, um, and Louisiana, which is about hour and twenty. Depending on where you're coming from and who you're driving with, uh, about an hour and anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half um, away from Baton Rouge, uh, New Orleans, about an hour and a half away from New Orleans. Um, I did it on the way to my honeymoon, about an hour. Oh, a lot of speeding. I don't recommend that. But with traffic, about an hour and a half uh, to Smoothie King Center, I live away in Baton Rouge. And so, of course, my basketball team is the New Orleans Pelicans. It's the state's team. We try to all get everybody from the state to join. Not a lot of winning, so most kids choose other teams. Whatever team LeBron's playing for, I'm a LeBron guy as well, but whatever team LeBron's playing for, Steph, Giannis, etc. Um, but game four, went to game four. It's the first playoff series in New Orleans since 2018. Um, after that victory, it guarantees the first game six or seven played in New Orleans since, I think, 2011. Uh, I think I saw the stat 2012 or 2011. That's the first game six or seven because usually they're over in five or less. Um, and and not always because the Pelicans are bad. For instance, the, the Portland series didn't go to six because they swept Portland. Now, they got swept by Golden State, but they swept Portland. Um, and so that uh, so not always because the Pelicans are bad. But... I went to the game last night. We had amazing seats. We were like on, we were in section 119, row 10. Um, several people and uh, the and several people I've talked to said they saw me and my wife on TV, either on the jumbotron or when they cut through the crowd, saw us. Uh, family members as well said they saw us. Um, try, I mean, I see myself on the jumbotron once, and that was like 30 minutes before the game started. <laughs> we happened to be in our seats already because we got there down there super early. Um, realized that like 30 minutes before the game started, they showed us. Me and, wife, me and my wife did a little dance move. You know, we were excited. We were playoff game, man. The atmosphere wasn't even lit yet, but you saw all the red shirts on the on the stands. Uh, they said you got to fight, which is something from Willie Green's one of his really his most famous speech. Um, I think it was the Clippers game, uh, Clippers playing games. And you worked all year for this. This is what you work for. You got to fight if you want this. Um, and so that's become the mantra of the team this year. I mean, won't bow down has been the phrase all year, but you gotta fight has become like the thing that even the start at the fourth quarter, they, they showed that speech kind of in video montage mode. Um, and it ended with you gotta fight, and it was like the loudest thing that they played in the whole video. And the crowd went crazy when the video said it. Um, but pretty much that's kind of embodies this team, this team fights. Um, that city fights. This region fights. Um, that team started off one in thirteen. And they're in the playoffs. And they got two wins, and they're going and they're tied two-two with the number one overall seed who won sixty-four games. Devin Booker being hurt. Who cares? Zion hadn't played all season. Otherwise, the Pelicans wouldn't be in this mess to begin with. Um, that city fights. Hurricane Katrina. Like I thought, I spoke about Chris Paul, but it also was the backing of the local community too, saying, no, we want basketball. We want football here. Um, you know, baseball, we kind of gave up on, but we want basketball. We want baseball. We want football here in New Orleans, South Louisiana. Um, and like I said, the region 
This is the reason when South Louisiana gets smacked by hurricanes. People forget Katrina's year. There was another bad one on the, in uh, in Lake Charles way. It was Rita. They were like, so you know, this region fights. We fight. We fight. We come back. And so this playoff series is kind of a culmination of the Pelicans fight, kind of getting over the Anthony Davis era, figuring out what we're gonna do. Okay, is Brandon Ingram the guy? Okay, now we go get. Now we draft these rookies. Uh, no, no lottery picks. Trey Murphy was not. Herb Jones was not. Jose Alvarado was not. All three are playing heavy minutes in the rotation. Okay, now we're going to make this really shrewd move with, for T.J. McCollum over a guy in Josh Hart that was a fan favorite. Josh, I, I love Josh Hart. Josh Hart was a fan favorite. Um, kind of move Josh Hart out on the Portland. You bring back a T.J. McCollum who's a vet leader, who's been there before, who's a guy who can immediately help Brandon Ingram create the space he's now enjoying. Um, and that's the breakdown of the Pelicans in general. But the game was insane. Gail Benson was walking around, like I said, pretty much about 20 minutes before game time. She's moving around. Birdman was in the building, New Orleans legend. Jamie Foxx was in the building, who actually has a prior relationship, and I found it out later, uh, to Jose Alvarado, who, Grand Theft Alvarado, the guy who likes to sneak from behind the baseline and steal the pass, uh, steal the ball from the point guard. He got a eight-second violation on Chris Paul, and he got a steal off Chris Paul. Um, by doing that, um, and so that is uh, him and Jamie Foxx have a prior relationship, so that's pretty cool. Um, but the environment was amazing, and you hear people talk about man, Seattle need to get a team. You Kendrick Perkins all year, the Pelicans need to move to Seattle. You know, uh, I can't do his voice, but the Pelicans need to move to Seattle. Man, we've heard just, oh, they gonna move that team to Seattle, ha ha ha. You know what I'm saying? All the other stuff, and it's like. No, no, no. The, Pe- the New Orleans, South Louisiana region is not a basketball region, per se. It's football. Football is king here. Not like king like in Texas, but football is king in the region. It's the biggest sport. That region, though, loves basketball. And you put a winner on the floor, even if they can believe in, they're going to go to the game. Proof positive that we were sitting in game four and game six was sold out. They sold out game three, game four, and was basically sold out of game six within a couple of days. Higher price tickets than normal for a normal game. Much higher price tickets for a normal game. For what the ticket prices were going for, like, the lower bowl, you could get courtside to some of the games. I mean, some of the tickets I saw on some of the sites, like Game Time, etc., were going for, like, $450 a piece, and they were selling them out. You That's a courtside ticket to some of the games. You know what I'm saying? That's courtside to a lot of the games um, and for the Pelicans because it's, it's one of the cheaper tickets especially due to market and stuff like that. It's one of the cheaper tickets. So $450 for some of the tickets I've seen, that's courtside to a lot of the games. So it just shows you that when you go and you put, I've seen families, I've seen families of three, four, five in areas that were $400 a seat or $300 a seat. So, you know what I'm saying? So that's $1,800 or $1,500, $1,200. I can't do math right now. $1,200 to go support the team because when they are winning, they will be supported. It's just that simple. And so the arena was ablaze all night. Several chants, a couple of them vulgar. Um, FUJ Crowder rung out about four times. And my wife looks at me and she's like, why don't anybody like Jay Crowder? So I, as I explained about the Jackson Hayes um ejection from game three jay crowder did something to jackson hayes pretty much nothing jackson hayes retaliates 
and no foul was called on the play. They review it, assess him with a flagrant two and eject him. And then I think Crowder gets hit with like a tech or something. You know, it's, it's something ridiculous. So the crowd chanted F-U-J Crowder multiple times and a, and a family was sitting in front of me, but a little bit to the right. And the mother was gonna go cover her young son's ears, but then she kind of threw her hands up like, it's 20, it's 15,000 people chanting this. It, there's, there's no covering his ears kind of thing. Plus she, plus she missed the first three or four anyway. Um, three or four, we, uh, three or four sayings of F.U.J. Crowder. She kind of threw her hands up. I enjoyed it. I, admittedly, I joined in. I don't like Jay Crowder. I mean, he, he's 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 affecting my team. All right, F.U.J. Crowder is excessive. I get that. But for fifteen thousand rabbit fans in a football-based state, you heard worse at a football stadium. So they let that ring. Um. That was great. Jose Alvarado gets the Jose, 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 Jose chants. Uh, they chant his name a lot. Not on Herb became a chant. Uh, that's the phrase for Herb Jones. And if he does a defensive play after both of his big blocks of jump shots, not on Herb, not on Herb rang out. Um, the crowd was amazing. At one point, it looks it looked like uh, Duke when they do the Cameron Crazies and they start jumping lower bowl. That's almost like how the crowd look after a big play. People were jumping. Hell, I was jumping. I jumped so hard uh, that the my drink was kind of under my seat. It was about mm, third full. I'm by my second or third jump. I'm splashing and I look down. My drink has fallen over because I guess the force of me jumping has shaken the cup to the point where the drink falls over. Um, it was absolutely an amazing environment. Don't let anybody tell you New Orleans doesn't love basketball. Proof positive of game three, four, and now game six. I'm sure it's going to be even more amazing. I wish I could go. Um, I can't, but um, it will be. it's going to be absolutely spectacular. Amazing, amazing environment. Shout out to the Pelicans for throwing an amazing and they had local performers there. They had a great DJ. She was running the ones and twos. The crowd was incensed all night. Um absolutely amazing home court advantage. If you're a guy like a Zion Williamson, you have to love that environment. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.